Hello everyone, and welcome, and thanks for listening. Today I'd like to talk about some healing. Plants, using the power of the mind, and yet make it very plain and simple and pragmatic. Nothing esoteric, because I've never been an esoteric spiritual seeker in this whole journey. Knowing more so that I was after being what you could term fully human. And what makes us tick? What makes us tick optimally and what makes us healthy without it being at the expense of others, other life in the world. And that's an ethic as you've been listening to the podcast that you'll understand that I've had since a very early age and which I believe is a naturally occurring ethic within not just humans, but life itself. If you look at other species, other life forms, for the most part, they all just take what they need from the environment around them. There's nothing overly gratuitous. There's nothing overly aggressive, overly violent, overly wasteful about it. Of course, there are some circumstances where these things happen, but they're so minuscule compared to how humans have evolved that it's not worthy of comparison. And so I often don't. And when people do point it out, I just point out that it's so extremely small that it's not worth talking about except to point out that it's so extremely small that it's not worth talking about. So let's talk about um, me and my health journey and why I've chosen to do what I've done. Because what you might call natural, or what I learned to call natural, in other words, understanding and realizing that in a primary sense, we get all of our nourishment originally from the sun as focus through plants, through chlorophyll, and then on down from there. I did a lot of research when I became vegan and then thought about my life before, my childhood, how I was, what my health was like, and then what I could do after. And I was pretty staunch about doing it, what I would call naturally, but without overtly shunning, you know, Western medicine, because there is a time and a place for everything. A lot of things in life are relative, and to have an absolute perspective while it can be done, and through you know a lot of research and positive attitude, it can be achieved, it's still the exception uh, to the rule when there's a lot of options available. So growing up, as I've mentioned before, I had some challenges, and I'm not overly convinced that most, many of them, if any of them, had anything to do with genetics. And now I know that's very highly validated by uh, the work of Bruce Lipton and the work of others who speak about, you know, the power we have, epigenetics, um, over our genes, within our genes, to realize that our genetics is what it is, but that it's predisposed a lot to our environmental conditions and to what we think about ourselves and how we act in our in ourselves and in our environment. But when I was young, I'm sure I was quite healthy when I was very small, um, I don't remember my mother mentioning anything about my early years, but then in my early childhood, I soon, for whatever reason, very likely diet, um, became some a child who had seasonal allergies that were pretty bad, and they seemed to get worse year by year. I also remember when I was young, having yearly flus almost every year. I'm going to say from the age of five or six on having sore throats, having a cold, and I seem to be more predisposed than my other family members. And having been born at the time I was born, 
I believe it was right on the cusp of a time when our society began relying more and more on packaged products for many reasons. I was born in 1967, and you know the post-war generation was one that was just full of new excitement and products and convenience, you know, things that we could do. It was also full of a lot of products being put on the market as a result of having been used or certain things being synthesized for war that then had no further use. And if you're not familiar with things like that, look up DDT, look up some of the other um, medicines that came on the market in the 50s and 60s that affected, you know, uh, rates of birth, rates of birth deformalities, things like that, and the connection. And also the beginning incidence in increased rates of heart disease, of cancer, of whatnot, that is directly associated with you know, more chemicals in our food, in our food supply, more chemicals in our food storage, because we were becoming a busier society. Um, the chance of two people in the family, the mother and father working, became increased. And so time to prepare food was um, definitely decreased. The time for people to even have a garden would have been decreased. So, you know, primary access to food, fresh food, what you would call organic food, just because prior to about 1930, all food was organic food. And so I'd say starting with my generation, post-hippie um, world, there was simply more chemicals, pesticides, food additives, you know, food coloring, just things that man-made, things you don't find directly in nature that had been synthesized, and that you need to understand are things that the human body was never meant to deal with directly. You know, we don't have the associative biology and chemistry which had evolved over tens of thousands of years to deal with it. Now, it doesn't mean we can't. Obviously, as humans, we've proven we can eat just about anything on the planet. And um, it can be used as nutrition, as something for survival, but there's almost always consequences. And that's probably what I've understood the most from investigating the, the, the food system and the human biology and evolution without any bias. And so I was definitely susceptible to that in the 1970s. I would have eaten more sugary cereals, more sugary foods, soft drinks. Um, you know, I had copious amounts of milk as a child. I enjoyed it as chocolate milk. I didn't always enjoy it as milk. Uh, straight up, I always found it mucusy, and the aftertaste was actually kind of um, sickening in the back of my throat, if that's the way to put it, um, for whatever reason. And so I started to develop a lot of seasonal problems, seasonal allergies, winter flus and colds. Um, I even remember having measles on multiplication and mumps after I had been vaccinated for them. And even as a very young child, my mind was kind of bewildered because I was like, didn't I, wasn't that supposed to, you know, negate this? And I'm pretty sure that the reason I would have been more predisposed was because of my compromised health. You know, my immune system was very likely on uh, on a compromised, in a compromised position for the diet I was eating. And as I've mentioned before, as a youngster, I was very shy. And so I was very likely in a low-grade level of stress, what you might call anxiety, although, you know, it didn't really show. The world wasn't seeing it because that's what we do uh, as humans often. We... we, we are taught to, you know, show the world what um, we think the world wants to see of us, which is, you know, quiet, polite, 
behaved, happy, smiling, uh, outgoing when the case, uh, when it's uh, demanding it, whatever the situation is. And so I did a lot of that. But I know it affected me. And I now know that that kind of low-level stress actually diminishes stomach health, the stomach lining completely. And so I've, as I've investigated my health over the past 20 to 25 years, I can now deconstruct and reverse engineer how I got to where I was in the first place that some of my change in diet helped and where some of it never was going to help completely without knowing more. So I went through... I would say uh, before my preteens and into my teens, becoming more and more problematic with my digestion, with my uh, seasonal allergies, um, to the point where it was pretty damn disruptive in my life, actually. It was overwhelming for a couple months every year in the summer, the allergies. Then in my teen years, I developed acne. And being in a new high school in the United States, this was a very challenging period for me as a shy person relocating to a whole new country and culture as such um, and already having the associated sort of problems I turned even more to comfort foods you know we were eating I was eating ice cream and pizza and some some other foods that my mother cooked but I think they wanted to accommodate me a little bit because it, it had been a bit of a a push for me to to be living in the US and, and be adapted to it like I've mentioned before that internal stress led to uh, you know diarrhea for months the first few months I was going to school there and it was almost all stress induced along with you know poor diet and especially dairy which I know would have been a factor for me all along and which although I've never tested for it I'm pretty sure I'd be one of the more highly lactose intolerant people around so I took some medication for my acne um, and it was severe antibiotics and they got rid of it and uh, subsequently dried my system out for years. And uh, I had another episode around that time, which I'm not sure where it came from. It was, I can't even remember if it was post having the acne treatment or after, but I had a temperature one time of 103 or 4 degrees. And I was really burning up and I was upstairs and I came down to my mother and, you know, we were both quite alarmed when we took my temperature, how high it was. I immediately got into a cold bath. And to this day, not 100% sure what the pieces of the puzzle are that made that happen. Although I'm, I'm going to say it probably was at a time when I was taking that acne medication. My stomach was probably very compromised from a few other things. The stress of me being me, being shy. Again, no one to blame overtly. Just, you know, these are factors that have happened to me and a lot of people in the scope of, you know, everyday society relying on the, uh, you know... USDA and Canadian food guidelines having allowed foods to be in stores that really aren't good for human consumption and then the associated treatments of Western medicine not really getting to the roots of any of the problems because that's not what they were ever designed for. And I'll talk about that more deeply on my other podcast about, you know, human ego, consciousness and, and levels of understanding of who we are and what our nature is and how we have disconnected from it and how that affects us. But as per the story right now, that led me to a place where it just continued. When I returned back home to Canada, my health, my stomach health kept getting a little bit worse. My allergies were always bad in the summertime, um, bad in the winters, and I would have um, problems. 
And not that that gave me a, an innate distrust of Western medicine, but I, you know, I'm an ob- I'm a very aware, observant person. I have been since I was very, very small. And so when I would be having bouts of um, problems with my allergies in the summer and my mom would buy Nova Histex or Nova Histine, these two products, I would take them. I would take them. I would take them as per the directions over and over again. And I would keep track of how often I thought it helped. And if it was 10% of the time, I, I'm, I would actually be quite amazed. Sometimes my allergies would affect me or I'd get something, my eyes would swell shut, I'd get some dust or pollen in my eyes and I'd have to go to the hospital and get a get a shot of adrenaline or something to actually speed up my metabolism and clear up my system. And, you know, it was a problem. It was a problem. It got in the way of my, my functioning in life every now and then. Thank goodness I was fairly active and I think I was outside a lot of the time which was good and bad because you know despite having allergies I still played in the field I still played sports hell my first big job was working on a golf course and sometimes I'd be you know in charge of mixing seed uh, so that we could spread seed on a new uh, newly developed tea or green or something like that and uh, (laughs) again breathing in the seed dust I would almost have to have an asthma attack and I'd have to tell my boss yeah I think I'm done here And yet, you know, I lived through it and persevered, but of course I was always keeping an eye on it and something, somehow I knew it wasn't right, wasn't normal, wasn't natural, you know, there must have been a reason for it. So of course, when I moved out and moved away from home, I, for the first time, could start taking some things into my own hands. When I started preparing food, it was very much like what I ate at home. So nothing really changed for the first little while until I stumbled upon the idea of vegetarianism and then eventually veganism. I won't go through the steps because I've documented that in one of the previous podcasts. But in the first few years after getting rid of uh, meat and dairy, especially the dairy, I did notice a very obvious change in my digestion and also in my allergies to the point where my allergies became almost non-existent most of the year and then they would bother me in the springtime because I still wasn't not eating sugar or processed foods I was just eating less of them and probably more of a balance of other foods and so by getting rid of dairy you know I would have cleared up my system Uh, dairy is a very mucus forming and which is an inflammatory thing and I since learned any inflammation in the body keeps the immune system working and As a quick aside, if you look at the current pandemic and the current situation in the world, the people who are the most compromised um, as far as, you know, having a reaction to the virus and having a bad reaction, it's those with any predisposed inflammatory response. And even people who are healthy, who think they're healthy and are fit, may not be as healthy and fit as they think they are if they have inflammation in the body that they aren't recognizing as inflammation in the body. So something to investigate because a lot of people fall into that category, which is why, you know, North America has been the hardest hit by that because we are the least healthy as far as those markers go. But once I became fully vegan and, and started seeing some of these changes, I definitely made a decision to try to heal naturally from here on in. And the first instance of that was, um, Pretty quick after deciding to become vegan, uh, I came down with what I saw, thought was a sore throat, but it didn't get better, and it was obvious it was something more. So I went to uh, a walk-in clinic in Calgary and asked 
and talked to the doctor and was told, oh yeah, you've got strep throat, which I hadn't had previously. And I thought, okay. And I I was a little hesitant, but I was like, I don't want to take antibiotics. I don't want to do anything like that. I'm trying to investigate other options. What can I do? And this um, physician was East Indian. And when I mentioned that, she said, oh, well, that's no problem. Just gargle with salt water. Uh, take some, some ginger, have some, some pure ginger, and try and, you know, eliminate sugar from your diet. And I was like, wow. To me, that was extremely enlightening. The fact that they would uh, say that there's another option because I had never gone to a doctor's office previously and either had and had any option. One, I hadn't asked for it. But two, a lot of Western medicine is not predicated on the fact of getting to the root cause. Most of the time, Doctors will just look and say, well, if it doesn't get any better in a week, come and see me again. Or they'll prescribe an antibiotic for just about anything that could be uh, an infection-related disease. And do they work? Surface level, a lot of time they do. Absolutely. Is there side effects? Ask Ask your stomach and your digestion. Of course there is. And so when she did that, I followed those protocols, and it went away rather quickly. And that was my first experience fully going down that road and then over the years uh, about four or five years in I noticed my allergies were getting better and then I had read a book by David Wolf the Sun Food Diet Success System which was about raw food and a raw food vegan diet and uh, has a lot of good information and I got pretty excited and I, I, I thought about it I contemplated it I read other information and, you know, I even read, you know, that Carl Linnaeus had, um, when he was classifying, you know, species back in the late uh, 1700s, early 1800s, I believe it was, he categorized humans as frugivores, just based purely on biological markers. Again, without any ego, without any um, any prejudice. I'm not sure what he was himself as far as diet goes, but to me that was a very telling thing that someone who was a scientist could say that so linking those two things together i was i i found it hard to find an argument against the fact that we were frugivores the challenge was living in canada how could you be a frugivore because obviously if we were frugivores that had happened as a natural evolution in a place where we could be frugivores which would mean you know the tropics and to this day i still have yet to find an argument against that in uh in philosophy of, of what a human being is but in practicality, it doesn't mean it's easy, achievable, or necessary anywhere we live on the planet. So, what did I do with that information? Well, I went raw for about a five or six month stint. And in that period, I felt quite good, although I was quite challenged to feel like I was eating enough. And I definitely wasn't eating enough because I was never a big eater. I've always been slight of frame and of form. Um, but it's never held me back. It's just always been my body. And I wouldn't even say it's my body type. I think there's a lot of factors that come into play here, which I'll talk about. Um, Food absorption being one of them, timing of eating being another one, and quality of food being another one. If you're eating processed sugars and other things, your body's probably going to go through them fairly quickly, especially if you're not using them, consuming them in ample amounts, which I wasn't and never really have. Uh, I've never had... An ounce of overweight, I've been underweight, if anything, my whole life. So, after that stint of going raw, my allergies kind of disappeared for the most part. They were extremely mild 
some years and and non-existent other years until i um, did another raw stint a few years later and then they disappeared completely to the point where i haven't experienced them since and i found the correlation is as long as i keep my diet extremely clean there's no reason for them to come up you know maybe i'm predisposed genetically to allergies to uh, light asthma but those things don't have to express and that's what understanding your biological makeup is all about they don't have to happen even though there's a predisposition for them based on hereditary heredity because that heredity might have just gotten there through the poor diet of our ancestors in the first place predisposing us to it so that's something I like to tell people and even to this day whenever I'm you know meeting new people I'm, I'm in a running group I do hikes with people and you know I hear people coughing or they're doing sneezing they're doing this and that and they're saying oh my allergies and people are allergy seasons coming and they say all this and I, I'll often casually just say you know you don't have to have allergies and I'm not being idealistic I'm not being philosophical because I have a prime example of being very very allergic in life to the point where I never thought I'd be clear to the point where I am clear and I know why. It's not magic. It's actually just um, study. It's knowing the self. And then it's understanding what changes to make on a regular basis. And so I try and give that information to people as much as possible. Not because I want to be right about you know what we can do for ourselves. Because I want people to feel better. I always wanted to feel better. You know, I've improved my overall health in this life. Between getting rid of shyness. Getting rid of my allergies healing from various things physical injuries from landscaping and whatnot so many things that i'm at the very crux of healing the last thing and that's what i'd like to discuss now because the other thing that i've had as a lifelong challenge is fatigue and i always thought even when i was young when i was 10 12 years old that i was just tired lazy and that that's the way i was all the time now into my 20s associated with all the other things that I was challenged with this is prior to going plant-based I was I would develop headaches from a lot of this and it was definitely linked to diet it was linked to probably a little bit of dehydration just not having enough liquid in my diet because you know it was mostly a cooked food diet I didn't drink excess water and a lot of the things I did drink are actually things that are diuretic so they dry you out so all those things combined it wasn't like I had headaches every day all the time, but I had them frequently enough and they were getting worse through my 20s and 30s to the point where it was being, it was challenging to do certain things on certain days. And in my mid to late 30s was when I started actually having to cancel doing certain things. You know, I'd have a hard day's work. I was supposed to help my partner uh, with her dance class doing some drumming in the evenings and I couldn't do it, you know, and I didn't want to be that person because despite the challenges i always kind of still did what i needed to do i could show up to work i could push myself through certain situations and, you know st th sometimes through stubbornness and willpower because i i do like uh, succeeding when i say i'm going to do something but it started becoming more challenging and then my 40s even more challenging and that's when i um you know didn't become worried about it, but I started becoming a little bit concerned because I was like, okay, what's at the root of this that I'm not understanding? And it wasn't until my late 40s that I started to to think that, uh-oh, what's the other factor? Well, I've had problems absorbing things, so my stomach health probably isn't very good, and I've got a lot of mercury fillings or a lot of amalgam fillings, which will have a mercury component in them. 
And now that doesn't always affect everyone the same way. I've done a lot of research to know that. And some people it's very aggressive with, some people it's not so much at all. And I th I've come to find that the reason it could affect me more is because my stomach has been compromised, my stomach lining, my absorption. You know, you've heard of leaky gut. Well, if something gets through your stomach, there's also a brain barrier, blood-brain barrier, which is associated with the gut barrier. And if you've got a, a compromised gut barrier, you probably have a compromised brain barrier. In my late 40s, early 50s, these headaches started getting worse and more frequent and the fatigue worse to the point where I'd be down for a few days after a hard day's work or after a certain food had triggered this. Um, and I, I just didn't know what to do about it. Now, a few years ago, I finally got some proper testing done through a naturopath. Something, honestly, probably my own fault, not having done this a few years earlier. But I'm glad I did it the way I did in the end because this, this person is someone whose trust I, I have uh, found a lot of faith in because they have their feet in both worlds. You know, They understand that if you need to do something to acutely heal right now, Western medicine has options, and he would definitely point me in those directions. But being a naturopath, almost a functional medicine doctor, he knew enough to ask questions about my lifestyle and to do testing, to do some blood testing, to do some heavy metal testing. And it came up very obvious that my, my through my blood work that my, my general nutrient level and stuff was fine, which I guessed it probably was because, you know, when I'm not challenged by a headache and this fatigue, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, I perform very well when I'm working, when I'm running, when I'm doing these things. That having only changed in the last couple of years and getting acutely worse to the point where I was having a hell of a time doing what I needed to do the last few years. Uh, which not a lot of people in my life are actually aware of. And so after these tests, I realized that there's a problem with heavy metals. And so I started doing some heavy metal detox and that alleviated the problems very much almost immediately. Um, I had a couple teeth removed that had amalgam fillings in them to the point where um, the teeth themselves, that the root was compromised and were you know, borderline infectious and affecting my health just on that level. So I paid a few hundred bucks to have some teeth removed and uh, started doing some detox, changing my diet a little more. And I'm going to say through doing that and learning to re repair the gut lining by taking L-glutamine and a few other um, supplements, it's made a world of difference to the point where in the last year, especially in the last few months, starting to feel like I have the energy of, a, of my youth again, you know, in a way that even though I had amazing energy in my 20s and 30s to do work, to do a lot of things, I would often work and then come home and eat and sleep. And that would be my life. Um, never having the energy to actually pursue a lot of the things I was interested in, you know, music, other modes of sports and expression and whatnot. And I don't regret it. That's That's the life I have. And if I can understand some things and pass that information on to people, you know, all the better for it. I'm happy to have been somewhat of a guinea pig on that level. And now I understand how fully we can regenerate, we can reconstruct, and we can feel, irregardless of our um, biological age. Because at the ripe young age of 54, I still feel like, you know, running and jumping and sprinting down the street half the time, um, being playful, 
um, getting my work done enthusiastically, being very competitive from the, with my running friends when I'm out in the, with the running group, you know, sprinting with the best of them, usually, you know, keeping up with the 20 and 30 year olds in the group without too much of a problem, especially when I'm running on a regular basis. And I actually foresee a future that's going to be a drastic improvement as I continue down this program. So, all of that has been done without the intervention of Western medicine for over 25 years in my life. I've pretty much relied on plants and herbs and the power of the mind for healing. And to that end, I'd just like to go over a couple things that I use, a couple simple practices that I use whenever I need to heal myself. The first one being mental, being attitude. Whenever something happens, whenever I hurt myself, whether it's an injury, an accident, um, even whenever, you know, I eat something and I feel a headache coming on because that was, that's been the pattern for years, you know, because I didn't know what was triggering it. I would eat something and I'd feel this, um, building up of pressure in the back of my head and in my jaw. And I'd be like, okay, here we go. How bad is this one going to be? And it would be anywhere from 24 to 48 hours of, you know, sometimes blinding headaches and, uh, and fatigue that would, uh, you know, take me out of life for a couple of days. To the point where you know I'd probably stop eating for that day, and uh, drink and and flush, try and flush my system and just let it subside. And yet, even when that happened, the first thing I do is to just relax, and to accept what's happening, to not give it any resistance, to not blame myself, not go, oh, how stupid were you? You did this, you did that. You know, well, how could you not know? Why didn't you go to the doctor ten years ago and figure this out? You know. Being either positive or just in a state of acceptance can remove the mind from going somewhere with it, which is powerful at any time. But with regards to physical healing, I've learned that it's a way that we can empower ourselves to simply heal faster. Because where there's resistance, things slow down. Where there's less resistance, things speed up. And so whenever I've come to a point like this, or like I said, hurt myself physically, the very first thing I do is go, okay, this is done. What can we do about it? By we, I mean me, my body, my mind. We're working together on this. My spirit accepts it. I'm here. My mind can work with it. My body is the thing being healed. It's got, it is a self-healing organism, mechanism. It does heal, and it will heal on its own timeline. And that timeline can change depending on what you do about it. And I've learned to go with it. And so I've healed quite a few physical things by going into it with a positive mental attitude right from the get-go, no matter how painful the actual physical thing was. And to that end, I'll mention, you know, the one time I broke, cracked a rib, roller skating with my partner, I fell down and jammed my own elbow up into my rib cage, got up, went to skate, went to take a breath and went, uh-oh, I think this is worse than I just banged my rib. Because I'd never experienced a broken rib before that. The only broken bone I had had was a few years previous. I had cracked my fingertip, just the very last bone of the finger, between two stones while I was landscaping. And that hurt like a bugger. But again, I did the same practice with that all those years ago. So what I did when I cracked my rib was I looked at my partner and said, Oh, you know what? I have cracked or compromised my rib. I need to. We need to figure this out. Yes, I did a few more laps just to take some deep breaths and figure it out and feel it. And I was like, yeah, there's definitely something here. I'm not making this up because that's always the first thing to do is to assess how real is this. And so once I knew it was real, that was it. Pack up, go home. 
And then I looked it up, looked up on the internet, what do you do for a cracked rib? And this is a practice I've done, again, for 25 years, is go, okay, there are things you can do about it, I know there are, but what's the natural alternative? Now, I already knew with a cracked rib, there's not much you can do about it. You don't you don't put a cast on it, because you can't. You um, immobilize it, which means what? Well, make sure it is in its, in its place, and it was. It wasn't poking out, it didn't get... Uh, changed in its direction it was just cracked in its place and I could tell just by breathing by feeling that it was cracked but it wasn't moved and so I went home I looked up what to do and within short order I saw that there was a plant called comfrey which is also known as knit bone and has been called that for hundreds of years for the very reason that it inspires the bone to reform faster now, the bone is going to rejoin in time because that's what it does. When your body knows something is wrong, it immediately sends, you know, the troopers, the white blood cells, the other things there to fix it. And that, to me, unto itself, is an amazing thing, how self-healing we are. And in fact, we would all almost be in optimal health if we didn't do anything to compromise our health in the first place. And so by, you know, talking to you about this natural healing, that's what I'd like to understand is, you know, almost everything can be investigated and addressed at the root level of you know what are we doing to make ourselves unhealthy in the first place so in that in that instance with a broken rib i just physically broke my rib you know that's just the way it goes life happens no one no one or even the circumstances to blame you just you know you fall the wrong way there you go but within t about half an hour of ha that having happened, I went home, found this word comfrey, and I knew what comfrey plant looked like. I've planted a few of them. I've dug up a few of them out of gardens before. They're a deep, tap-rooted plant, what you call an old-world garden plant, because it's it's a plant that was grown in, in gardens because it was very useful for a lot of remedies, obviously. Plants and herbs have been for years, not because they're folklore, but because they work. Um, and so I looked it up, and I went out looking for some. I walked into the back alley behind my house, and within two houses, I saw two big patches of comfrey growing in the alley. So obviously, you know, up for grabs. They were growing wild there. I harvested some, uh, some of the leaves, went home, boiled them down, turned them into a poultice, and had them on my ribs right away. And I brewed a little bit of comfrey tea to have as well for the first little while. So I used a poultice on my ribs for the first 10 days or so. I drank a little tea every couple days didn't drink too much because uh, I read that you know it's it's very strong and you know could be toxic at uh, high doses which I, I know I wasn't doing but could be and besides that I just um, kept an eye on myself you know as a landscaper and self-employed I kind of still needed to work so I only took a day or two off and then I just worked very carefully believe me because moving the wrong way with a broken rib can just you know make it happen again and pinch it and uh, c cause more pain so I watched my I watched my posture and I worked half days after about seven or eight days I actually started jogging very mildly again because again I that seemed natural and intuitive to to move and I looked it up I looked up online what do you do for um, for for a broken rib and for broken things in general and you know the opposite of what we're often told in the last, you know, 40, 50 years with Western medicine, you know, rest, rest, stay till, still, rest is the opposite of what we should do. Of course, there's, an, there's a timing to it that, that makes sense. So after I knew my rib was, you know, broken, but in its place and generally okay, I read that movement will inspire the body to understand that it better heal faster because this person is now moving. 
it gets the metabolism going it gets the um, body's systems going but it also sends the message that you know you better repair because this person is living their life they're going to keep moving and i was very careful to jog much more slowly much more um upright watched my posture made sure i didn't damage my rib while i was jogging that's not hard to do if you're actually paying attention and that's you know the key to a lot of what i talk about here and on the other podcast awareness pay attention if anything would have happened i would have stopped but it kept getting better and better and you know what that rib healed fully in 21 days to the point where i was you know running jumping doing jumping jacks working doing whatever i wanted to i kind of tested it just to see whereas the prognosis for a broken rib is a fair bit longer than that if you look it up now i broke that rib again or sorry i broke another rib on that side the next year uh another crack wasn't as bad didn't feel quite as bad but it was still the exact same thing the exact same protocol i did that and that rib healed in 19 days i kept very close watch because i was curious to know i uh, as i mentioned cracked a fingertip twice i've cracked that same fingertip twice landscaping pinching it between stones because i was you know moving big stones and looking one way a stone rolled and pinched it between another stone and there you go and you know that's a, a bloody severe acute pain but again i was working within a few days um not just not using that finger not compromising it taking the appropriate things and then covering it at night with a poultice and um doing some mental imaging now here's the other thing i do a little trick i learned again i think about 25 years ago i don't remember exactly where but it was a a mental imaging thing about telling yourself whenever you get injured re imagining the injury happening and yet instead of imagining the injury happening exactly as it happened imagine that it happened but that it was a close call to it happening and that you kind of escaped it at the last minute and that it wasn't as bad as it seemed and yes this is actually a little trick of the mind about faking yourself into a false reality but it can actually tell the body that it's not as badly hurt as it seemed at the time and that it can get to healing quicker that the healing phase can happen quicker and i do this every time something goes wrong i imagine that it didn't it wasn't as bad as it appeared which means i can get back to healing i can go on with my life more quickly while still giving it obviously the requisite rest necessary in every circumstance And those are the major things I wanted to go through today with regards to health and healing. And just to let you know, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a physician. You know, in another timeline, I probably would have studied to be a naturopath, and I've probably studied enough material to be to have some of that knowledge, but not with enough knowledge to tie it all together, which is why I consult a naturopath when I need to, why why I go to a clinic when there's something I don't understand that I need help with. I'm glad Master Western Medicine is here just in case. Having said that, I don't live my life just in case. And I'm going to say I am a I'm a prime example and yes, a bit of an extreme example, having done what I've done for the last 25 years and having in fact opted out of the medical health system for the last 10 in British Columbia, Canada. For the 
sake of actually just proving a point, but to actually hold myself accountable too, because if there's no safety net there, you know what? There's a greater awareness and responsibility. And I will take that on because I used to be afraid of responsibility and accountability because then it was all on me. What if I went wrong? What if I did something wrong? Well, when there's no insurance, when there's no guarantee there, yes, it can be a bit of a risk, but I also will say that I don't take as many risks. I do look out for myself. I do ask for help when I need it. And when I heal, I take responsibility for it. And if I have to have time off, I have to have time off. If I ever would need to ask for help, I would ask for help in that case. I paid for all my medical um, expenses during that time. Now, there hasn't been a lot, but there will be some in the near future for which, you know, I still need to save. You know, getting more work done for having mercury fillings switched out is going to cost a few thousand dollars that I don't have right now, but uh, that I'm probably will be all right without doing if I actually don't do it based on all the protocols I'm doing right now. Would it be optimal to have them switched out? Probably. Just to guarantee, you know, that 30 years from now, it doesn't still uh, pose a problem and perhaps affect my quality of life at that point. I'd prefer to have a, an excellent quality of life that I'm in control of up to the day I die. But while there's no guarantees about that, I'm of a very positive and strong mindset that I do have something I can do about it. And so I'm going to have to, you know, investigate how I can achieve that in the next few years without giving anyone any blame. Because in a perfect world, in a perfect system, you know what I would do is I would say, hey man, Mr. You know, dentist, and you know the um, authorities that allowed mercury to be put into human bodies in their teeth for many, many years, um, maybe you should pay for getting that out of me. But we don't live in that world. We live in an economy, capitalist-based world where people can make money off things even when those things cause harm. Uh, if you don't believe me, just look at the food system. You know, a big percentage of the food on the shelves is approved by someone out there who is part of a system that has an economic interest in making money. And yet a lot of those foods are leading to people having to be on medications to have compromised um, quality of life, especially as they grow older. And the evidence to that is insanely obvious to me. Just by looking at society around and by looking at the increased incidence in things that are completely diet and lifestyle related as far as diseases during life and later in life and how they are becoming more common to humans younger in life, which should never happen. So we have a lot of work to do. And a lot of that work is going to be tied to people realizing that we come from nature. And when we're not using nature in a respectful way, it's going to come back on us somehow. And in a, in a way, we kind of deserve that. And so perhaps investigate your health, your part in it, and the things you haven't thought about before. Where does your food come from? And if you have any ill health, how could that be a part of it? Because there's a very good chance that that is a part of it. And if it's affecting your health, it's probably also affecting the health of people involved in the food system on some level. And if it's animals, it's definitely affecting the animals along the way. And when it's actually not necessary for human health, that's something we can do something about in this day and age. We have so much information. And human health is actually so simple that there's not many excuses left to do the requisite investigation. 
And so I implore you to do that without me telling you what to do or how to do it. And yet, if you have any questions, shoot me a line. I'd be glad to talk to you about it and relate information, resources, and whatever I can so that you can do what I've done. Take responsibility, whatever path that leads you down. Steve at illuminatingthedisconnected.com is the best way to get a hold of me. And once again, I appreciate your time and attention, and I hope this helps you to learn to feel better. Take care. Hello, fellow humans, and thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, ever since I got this thing started, which was years in the making, I've been excited about uh, doing this and only this. It's what gives me the most pleasure in life is helping others help themselves, and it's actually what I know the best. Despite all the other things I've studied for and uh, have had as careers, as experiences, as hobbies, as connections with life, this is it. So to that end, if you'd like to experience, if you'd like to support a very simple human doing this, it doesn't take much for me to survive, and anything over and above that that I ever make from this will always go back into helping others directly. And you can support me by finding me on Red Circle Podcasts, which may be where you're listening. Uh, There's donating information there. I also have an account with something called Libra Pay, where you can find me as Steve Alat, or you can send uh, a donation through PayPal, steve at illuminatingthedisconnect.com. If any of those aren't sufficient or fail, send me an email. Again, steve at illuminatingthedisconnect.com. We can figure something out. And uh, thanks for listening. I really, really hope it helps. And if it does, do send me a message. Thanks for your support.